0: Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of positives that have come out of it, uh, even though it might seem like I'm in the midst of a storm. Uh, but one of those positives is really just seeing how many friends and true brothers I've made, you know, doing reenacting.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here once again. uh, Happy to have Rudy back on the program today. Rudy, thanks for coming on.
0: Hey, thanks. It's my pleasure.
1: Today, we're going to talk about an event that you went to recently Mm -hmm. that was your first uh, event back and reenacting after sort of a, a a break of sorts is that right
0: yeah i haven't been to uh, a proper event and uh going on almost a year and a half i did attend a, a single day at conneaut back in august but it's it's been a while since i've taken the field properly
1: obviously you've you, it's not like you lost interest in in world war ii reenacting right um it was just uh, other aspects of your life where, where taking priority for a little while, or what was the reason for the, the time away from the hobby?
0: Yeah, my, my passion for the hobby never, never went away. It just kind of became one of those instances where, as you said, you know, life sort of caught up with me. I was in between jobs, uh, uh, trying to figure out what it is exactly I was doing with my, uh, my life, so to speak. Uh, I had been in a long-term relationship. We were in the process of building a home together, and uh, I had been raising uh, my longtime girlfriend's daughter. And it was always a little bit strained just because uh, partially due to the hobby, you know, her parents didn't quite understand why it was that I was doing that for a long time. Uh, And then she herself kind of started questioning things. Uh, This is a little helpful hint to some of our our younger listeners out there. You know, I've been doing uh, World War II German reenacting for uh, 12 years. I started in 2011. And I think at the onset, I kind of was so, you know, I'll I'll be blunt. I was very obsessed with this idea, something I'd always wanted to do since I was young. So I poured a lot of my time and devotion and energy into it uh, from the get-go. And, you know, being young and in my early 20s, I think that I really allowed for that to take a lot of precedent in my life, Uh, even more so uh, than the relationship I was just entering in. I think that I used that as an escape to kind of get away from some of my real life issues and prioritizing on the relationship. And unfortunately, between uh, the family not quite understanding my interest in doing World War II German reenacting, and then coupled that with... Uh, shutting off in, in terms of communicating with my relationship and kind of focusing on that. I poured all my energy into reenacting and um, I kind of set up a few barriers. Uh, it's not the whole reason for, for my uh, relationship ending, uh, but it, it definitely was a part of it. And so I think it's all about finding that balance. Uh, and, and this really goes for anybody, but particularly the, the, the younger reenactors, Uh, Finding that balance between uh, how much time do I need to devote to this hobby and energy and then also at the same time prioritizing and focusing on, you know, my real life issues at hand. Uh, Because obviously I'm living proof that it's really easy to get caught up in in the passion and the time and the devotion that this hobby kind of demands from time to time. Uh so unfortunately my relationship did end after almost nine years, but uh I'm looking forward to some new chapters in my life and I'm looking forward to uh, you know, getting back out in the field and uh finding that proper balance.
1: I really appreciate you kinda of sharing that with us, Rudy, and I relate to what you're talking about a lot. I've spent a lot of time talking to friends of mine about this. I think it's something that unfortunately um all, all of us are, on some level are susceptible to reenacting does have an escapist aspect about it. There's no way around that you're going, you're going to some other time period basically, and pretending that you're another person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it is sort of natural and probably unescapable that that this can be uh, a sort of an escape or a break from the stresses of our regular lives. And that can sometimes be a good thing. But I think more often than not, it can be sort of a bad thing, like you say, where it, it can detract from dealing with things that you have to deal with in life. And, you know, I'm, I, uh, I definitely understand and, and relate to the end of a long-term relationship being a super stressful time. And I'm sorry that you've had to go through that, but I really hope that uh, it kind of works out for the best in the end and uh, that someday you'll be able to look back on it and think, well, uh, you know, I'm in a much better situation now.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of positives that have come out of it, uh, even though it might seem like I'm in the midst of a storm. Uh, but one of those positives is really just seeing how many friends and true brothers I've made, you know, doing reenacting. Uh, I had a lot of people reach out to me, you know, saying, Hey, is there anything you need? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you know, that, that's, that's really helped me keep my head up high and realize that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of bright days ahead of me. And, and this will be the last thing I say before I get off my soapbox here. But I think that at the end of the day, we do have so much camaraderie in this, uh, this hobby of ours, this reenacting, um, hobby that we find ourselves in. I think it's important for us to realize that, yeah, it's easy to turn into, uh, you know, Rudolf Lange in the years 1943. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we're all going through stuff in our home, home lives. And it's, it's never a bad thing to, to just speak to our friends. Uh, you know, we do reenact with because we're here to support each other. Uh, so if you ever find yourself dealing with something you think man i need to tell somebody feel free to reach out to me but uh uh, we're pretty blessed to have each other in this this, in this hobby for sure
1: absolutely you know i remember years ago some guys in gd uh joking about how gd stood for getting divorced (laughs) and uh you know it is a, a reality that um you know, I don't, I don't know if reenactors are, are more in like more likely to go through long-term relationships ending in a breakup than, than anybody else out there. Or, or if it's just kind of, I mean, I think this is a thing sort of that everybody deals with in life, but, mm-hmm. um, definitely we do have this hobby and this circle of friends that we we all get to be a part of. And, um, you know, there, are there are, positives and and negatives about reenacting. But uh, to have to have friends who are willing to uh, just even listen or help out as needed, it really is very, uh, very valuable. And we're lucky to have that.
0: Yeah, you know, if we're being perfectly honest with ourselves, this, this is kind of a niche, a niche era to be reenacting, you know, or living historians of any era, really, you know, we're pretty unique people. And I think it takes uh, equally unique people to kind of understand and uh, you know, appreciate us for why we decide to dress up and do what we do. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a circular track, but I, I do know the old adage of get
1: divorced (laughs) for GD. Sure. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you obviously have, as anybody would during this time, uh, take some time to chart a new course, some time maybe for introspection. What do you think your interaction with reenacting is, is going to look like in the future? Are you going to have more more time to do it or are you going to focus on other aspects of your life?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I, I will admit I'm kind of at square one in terms of Restarting my life, so to speak. I went from building a home to having no idea of where I'm going to be living and that sort of thing, and uh, raising a 13 year old to not having a child. Um, So I'm finding myself having a lot more free time (laughs) for obvious reasons. Um, And I've been able to fill that. You know, I I will need to be positive and upbeat, but part of that is with, uh, you know, getting back into the hobby and looking forward to attending a couple of events coming up in the new year and filling the schedule so to speak um, and i actually had the pleasure of uh attending my first event as i said uh, in almost a little over close to a year and a half uh this past weekend
1: so the event that you went to is sounds really interesting um we we sort of chatted a little bit about it before, but it's an event that was never really on my radar before. Mm-hmm. So um, why don't you just launch into it and tell us what the event was and what, what it's about?
0: Sure. Uh, you know, everything is kind of proximity-based. It's a lot easier to attend events that are a lot closer. It kind of helps you fill out your uh, reenacting schedule for the year, as it were. Uh, obviously, some of us have made some really, really far hauls for different events. Uh, But this one, I've kind of, the event I attended this past weekend was actually in Oshawa, Ontario, which is just outside of Toronto. Uh, Cross Deutschland has several members that uh, live up in Ontario, and they'd always been talking about this armor museum up in Oshawa. Uh, It's called the Royal Canadian Armor Corps, or the RCAC, And it's basically this large armor museum up in Canada. And they said, you know, uh, Will, you live just south of Buffalo, New York. That's only about three hours and 45 minutes. You should really come up. The museum's uh, one of a kind. And uh, I had a free weekend, so I kind of jumped on the opportunity. Uh, I do want to say that I'm not speaking on behalf of the museum by any means. Uh, I, for this podcast, I'm just kind of giving my experience in terms of getting back into the field and uh, what I, I recognized uh, uh, or learned or gleaned from attending this event uh, from the eyes of a living historian. Um but it's this massive museum up in Oshawa, and they have about 150 uh, vehicle armored vehicles of all sorts of uh, eras and nations. Uh, they actually were celebrating their, if I'm not mistaken, the 10th year of the, it's called the Aquino Tank Weekend. Um, and they're, they have all these displays that are housed in the museum there, but they have several outbuildings and essentially a large warehouse that they cram all of these 140 to 150 vehicles in. Uh, and it's really, really impressive to see. Uh, as I said, they have armor from all eras and countries. You know, they had uh, Russian T 55s, T 72s, uh, M 60. Uh, patent tanks, British vehicles of all kinds, Canadian vehicles. Um, It really, really, really was impressive to see. Uh, And then there they have a a circular uh, tank training or proving grounds, as you were. So they are able to work on and train on these vehicles and bring a lot of these vehicles out for the public to see uh, throughout the year. Uh, We actually have two members uh, that Serve with Gross Deutschland that are actually active members or volunteers at the uh, museum itself. Uh, I do believe they only have like two paid members at the museum, but they have several hundred volunteers that come and just assist with maintenance and uh, learning the ins and outs of the vehicles and having these special weekends where they get to showcase uh, what the museum's all about. One of the draws for myself to attending is that they actually have quite a large contingency of uh, German armor and vehicles at this museum. Uh, And it's a mixed bag of both, uh, reproduction vehicles, but also original vehicles as well. Uh, they actually received, uh, an original 88, uh, flat gun. They have an original Hetzer, uh, tank that's there. I think the only thing that's not original is they replaced it with a Czech gun, if I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they have a half track with a pack gun on the top and then a regular 251 half track. Uh, they have a uh, Panzer III tank that is kind of a mixed match build, but there's a lot of original parts on it. Uh, one of the volunteers said that it's one of the most accurate reproduction uh panzer threes in the world uh i know that they're currently reworking on a uh, martyr tank destroyer and they also have a uh half track that has the large uh naval for for uh rockets on the back and the rocket section is actually original uh they also have a pack 36 uh anti-tank gun there so there's a, there's a lot of stuff that you can see and utilize, and they drive all of this out on this tank track, so it's not like you're walking into a museum and it's just sitting there, uh, but it's moving. You can see the gears. You can hear it. You can smell the fumes. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about the actual battle scenarios, but we were riding some of these vehicles out into the uh, the combat scenario, so it was really, really cool. Um, I know one of the things that was exciting for me is I had an opportunity to talk to a lot of these volunteers who were actual volunteers and military personnel throughout the different uh, conflicts, you know, whether it was the Cold War or the different wars in the Middle East. So I stayed up several nights, you know, having these conversations with them and hearing their stories. And everybody there was really warm and accepting and they had a lot of jokes Um, always offering you to buy you a pint. Uh, the hospitality was really uh, second to none. Uh, I know that they also do have a, a, Stug there as well. I know that I didn't get to see it because it was currently getting worked on, but, um, the museum itself is, is really, really a gem. If you ever find yourself with some spare time, I highly recommend, uh, getting out to check it out. Um, it's, it's really impressive.
1: It sounds like a super fun event. How far away from where you live uh, was this thing? Uh,
0: it was about three hours and 45 minutes. Uh, so that really wasn't that bad. Uh, typically, most of the events I do here in the U.S. are five and a half hours or so for me to get to. Uh, so I didn't mind, I didn't ma- mind making the, the jump over there. Uh, the major drawback for myself was kind of twofold. As you know, there's these uh, wildfires going on uh up in uh the quebec area and so a lot of that smoke and smog has been blowing down all along the eastern seaboard and i know i'm a teacher by trade and a lot of our students were not permitted to go outside because of the air quality Uh, my cousin lives in new york city and he was saying will you got to see it the sky is just unbelievable it looks like something really apocalyptic Um, So I know that there was some concern about whether they would end up canceling the event up there. Uh, But when I got up there and all the Canadian guys I knew uh, living up there were like, no, honestly, it's really not bad. And I don't know if it's just because the easterly winds were blowing everything down toward us or not. But uh, there there was some genuine concern as to whether the event would get canceled due to the air quality uh, and the fires that were going on.
1: So this was like a truly international event for you where you had to cross an international border as well.
0: Indeed, indeed. Um, that was kind of one of the things that was leading up to me prepping for my first you know, return event back uh, after a year and a half was, oh, man, I got to cross the border. Uh, it is a little bit of a haul. So that, that means customs. You know, I'm going to get grilled by the security as I go into Canada and as I come back. Uh, And so I found myself feeling truly like a noob uh, preparing for this event after I've been reenacting for almost 12 years. Uh, What is it I need? What should I leave behind? Uh, Is this good to cross over an international border with? Uh, So luckily, uh, the event uh, was hosted by uh, Comf Group ICA and uh you i'm sure some of you know a handful of the guys uh michael veichel uh drew maynard who's uh done a lot of reenacting down here in the states uh and so i knew a couple of guys going into it and they were extremely helpful with me uh getting prepared and making it so i was able to attend the event itself uh several of the gross deutsche members that live in canada canada uh were also attending the event so I was fortunate that I was able to borrow a Gewehr so I didn't have to worry about uh, filling out all the paperwork that goes with bringing a firearm across the border. Uh, so that that actually made it really simple because I just pulled up to the border. They said, where are you from? Where are you going? Uh, do you have any firearms, ammo, booze? I said, no, 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 no. And away I went. So I, I literally was bracing myself for like a 20-minute exchange. I've heard horror stories about people having their car searched and getting stuck at the border for hours, but going into Canada and coming back was, uh, it literally took less than two minutes at each station. So uh, I was very fortunate in that regard.
1: Yeah, that's great. I've, I've had the experience of getting searched, uh, at the border going in and it is, uh, it's kind of unpleasant and time-consuming, so I'm glad that you were spared that fate.
0: Yeah, no, I was I was very fortunate. I was definitely uh, counting, counting my blessings. And, you know, it was very interesting getting prepared to attend this event because I actually felt as if I had a lot, there, you know, there was a lot of nerves involved. Like, am I going to forget something? Do I need to make a checklist. Uh, I really want to make sure that I'm not going to be letting anyone down. You know, I feel like I haven't been in the field for some time. So, I wanted to make sure that I was on top of my game, especially going to an event that I'd never attended to, you know, not to mention that it was in a different country. Um, But I have to say uh, that it went off really wonderfully. Uh, Drew and Brian and Michael and all the other guys up there, they were extremely welcoming. I never felt out of place. They helped me get squared away Uh, because in order to even attend this event as a reenactor, you have to do multiple trainings prior to even attending. Uh, you know, one of those is an online course. Uh, it's nothing too grueling, but, you know, it's another time commitment. And then when you actually get there, in order to be able to be a reenactor and be around the vehicles, you have to pass, uh, you know, go through a safety meeting, especially, you know, the main thing is in terms of uh, being around the vehicle. So I was able to sit up in the half track and like look out the ports and be able to see, yeah, this is all that these uh, guys driving this thing can see. So, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm here at the event. Let's have fun. You know, there was a couple of hoops to get through. And uh, these guys and these other reenactors were just so welcoming. They made it very simple. Uh, basically, they would give me the shirt off their back just to make sure that I was taken care of. And, uh, you know, it's it's odd because I felt as if uh, I was just part of their unit. It was, it was really rewarding and welcoming to see that, that openness, in, you know, in our in our reenacting community.
1: That's really great. How many reenactors were there, uh, you know, in total, do you think?
0: Uh, you know, Chris, I, I don't want to give the wrong number, but this also was kind of a timeline event. So they actually had Roman reenactors, World War I reenactors, American Civil War reenactors, uh vietnam reenactors as i stated they have uh, a bunch of russian vehicles that were used by the iraqi military so they even had members portraying the iraqi military uh that you know they actually had a battle scenario out on the tank proving grounds of different battles during operation iraqi freedom which was really interesting to see um from the german aspect i you know i would say that I would say we probably easily had around, uh, 20 guys or so. Um, so it wasn't massive by any means, but for having a timeline event, it was, it was pretty impressive. Uh, you know, and I can kind of get a little, a little more detail when we uh, start talking about the combat situation portion of it. Um, but it, you know, for having 20 guys there, I could have. I could have been in the entire Wehrmacht itself. It seemed like we just had this amazing presence. The public was really drawn to our camp. Uh, we actually had someone, I believe, from the Royal Canadian Museum or Military Museum. I don't. I don't recall off the top of my head, but they came in and they were just raving about how good the uh, encampment looked from the German perspective. Uh, you know, the farbiness w- was not there. There was a sense of professionalism, the way that the camp was set up and the way that we interacted with the public, uh, which, you know, really speaks volumes to to some of the heads of the German reenacting uh, command that set that all up, but also the guys that were there keeping that professionalism during a, a public event, because, you know, it can be kind of tricky when it's a little dog and pony, but
1: uh, it, it was pretty impressive. Sure. Um, did you get there on, uh, like Friday or, uh, what was your, what was your travel and arrival situation like?
0: Uh, yeah. So I got there Friday, uh, around two o'clock. Uh, like I said, the trip up was really smooth. I got there, uh, I, because I haven't been to an event in a while and because it was a public, public event and I had borrowed a and some other things I actually packed very light, which was nice. Um, so I unloaded everything and then. Uh, Friday, we kind of intermingled with the public. Uh, The German encampment had a really cool uh, station set up to discuss uh, the Stielhankanat and how it would work and properly utilizing it. And it was cool because they set up uh, almost like an elongated rectangular section, kind of like a long bowling alley. And there was little crates with five different rubber uh, weighted Stielhankanat that the Uh, kids or adults, whoever, would come up, they'd put on the helm, they could do the five-toss, the Stihl-Hangenat, and at the end of the alley was a Spaten with uh, a Russian helmet on it. So everyone was trying to dink the Stihl-Hangenat onto the the Ruski helm, and uh, that was a huge draw. So uh, there was a really impressive weapons display set up for the MG, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, but... Um, so I unloaded and spent a couple hours talking with the public. Uh, I got a wonderful tour from uh, Hans Wickman who is in Gross-Deutschland but also serves as a volunteer at the museum. So he kind of walked me around, showed me the ropes. Uh, I did my armor training so that I could participate in the battles and be around the vehicles. And then uh, just enjoyed the rest of the evening with some comradeshafts.
1: That sounds great. What was the camp setup like? Were you guys sleeping in Zelpon tents?
0: Yeah, we had, uh, let's see, two, four, six. I would say there was probably about uh, nine or ten Zelpons set up. There was two larger, like, Stab Zelts. There was two members that were there that had a really impressive, uh, uh, like, a Feldpost uh, signal section set up. So they had pieced together some larger Zelt sections. Um, I want to say there was like a 16 Zelt set up there, an eight piece set up. Um, I'll have to see if I can find some pictures to post up on some of the Zeltbond pages because it was it was pretty impressive. Uh, and so it was kind of a lane that the public would walk down with Zeltbonds on one side and the Stab zelts on the other. Um, but, yeah, no, it, was, it was very pleasant. It was, it was a wonderful setup.
1: Cool. Did you did you guys have to get up early on uh, Saturday morning?
0: Uh, yeah. So it, we kind of had an early morning. Um, Aufstein was at, uh, 6 Stunden. So it was at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, but one thing I would say about this event, it was extremely well run and everything, you know, even when there was hiccups or little obstacles, it went really smoothly and, uh, things really clicked in a timely manner. I was, I was really impressed with how the heads of the event ran everything. Um, but we got up and at them really early. And I, just to digress uh, real quick to Friday night, something that I thought was extremely interesting was, obviously, it's an armor museum. So there's a lot of vehicles that are going to be in play uh, when it comes to the actual tactical portion. Um, and so they had a meeting with all the drivers of the armored vehicles. And so we sat down. And this massive group of individuals, uh, all the German reenactors, the heads of the uh, Canadian and Allied forces, as well as, I mean, I want to say like 20 or 30 different individuals that were going to be driving all of the different vehicles and the pyro people and the armorers were there. Uh, So we were able to sit down and kind of like talk out how the whole situation was going to go. And it was really interesting seeing it from the tank driver's perspective because they had maps uh, laid out of basically each stage of the battle. So every single driver had to know their certain part. Like, okay, at this stage in the battle, I need to drive to this section. The infantry is going to be here. Uh, when we move to this, we're going to be looking for this, uh, you know, popped smoke to make this next move. So it was kind of interesting seeing it from a different set of eyes because it wasn't just... OK, well, here we are, our little comp group is going to run through the woods and go this way. But it was like, guys, we have all this armor we need to consider. Um, and I think there was kind of that mutual respect, too, from them saying, oh, wow, like we, we need to understand that these are German tactics. Like this is how they would have done it in World War Two and how they would have moved into this position or uh, worked in cohesion with the armor. So it, it was kind of interesting seeing that that balance in that back and forth. Uh, and so that kind of led into uh, Saturday morning uh, because there's actually a bit of a, a Saturday's kind of the rehearsal and Sunday's the big show, so to speak. And what I mean by that is so Saturday we actually do the battle scenario that's talked about that previous night on Friday. Uh, so we stick to the plan, everyone knows their job, and if you understand your job and just do that, Everything ran really smoothly. So it wasn't like one person was kind of lording over the whole thing, or you don't want to get over inundated with information because this battle is going to be taking place. And you need to know every single part that's going on. It's just like, all right, this is the area that I'm supposed to be in. This is the area I'm in charge of. This is what my men are supposed to do. Um, and it was kind of interesting this event coming back because we were portraying the uh, 15th Panzer Division, uh, 15th Panzer Grenadier Division, who was technically the 15th Panzer in the Africa campaign until they were destroyed and then they were kind of resituated in Italy and became the 15th Panzer Grenadier Division. Um, so it was interesting, like not bringing out my gross Deutschland uniforms. Uh, but luckily, I had a, an old Sturm Feldbluse that I used for the Stalingrad event that didn't have the Großdeutschland cuff title. So I just had to purchase the proper uh, Um So it was kind of interesting putting all of that on. And then it was really nice because in Großdeutschland I'm a Feldwebel uh, with quite a bit of responsibility. But for this, I was a little low league So I absolutely loved it. I was excited, like, Oh, less responsibility. I kind of get to do the, where do you want me to be? What do I need to do thing? Um, and not to, not to get off tangent here, but it was really cool seeing the different Waffenfarb color. And I can kind of visualize how, no matter what branch you served in during World War II, that sense of comradeship in terms of like, Oh, okay. Like they're wearing that color for the Panzer Grenadier I feel sense of unity or, you know, okay, here's the red piping, the red Waffenfarb. So like, there's a sense of unity there. Um, I thought it'd be kind of weird, not wearing my traditional white Waffenfarb Schuterklappen and my gross uniform. But I got to tell you, when you see like 20 other guys wearing the same color Schuterklappen, it was, it it was really unifying rewarding. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's
1: great. I, I think there's a lot of value in that and the kind of the flexibility to do uh, little changes to your impression, to be able to do something different at an event that requires it. I think that's um, really valuable for everybody.
0: Yeah, you know, and it kind of piggies, piggybacks off the last Reenactor Corner um uh issue with talking about how many impressions is too many impressions you No, know, for for me that was a great thing to be able to have one fell that i could interchange the shooter clapping with uh as i said we were doing operation husky for this event so it was an italian front uh event i know a lot of guys went above and beyond and bought like deck uniforms and proper tropical equipment and the whole nine yards, which was really, really impressive, but it was great to be able to just throw on, you know, a parachute to in and get out there. Um, so back to the responsibility issue, I was really looking forward to not having to do anything, but just because I've worked with Drew Maynard for numerous years at the Gap and Hazeltons and just, uh, his units, uh, great rapport with Gross Deutschland, how we work really well together. He actually asked me to be in charge of of one of the small um, groupas in the tactical, uh, so at first I thought, oh man, I thought I was going to get away from any sort of responsibility, but it worked out worked out really well, and it actually it was an honor for me because it was, you know for him to be able to have that faith uh, in me to lead a of was uh, pretty special, so I appreciated him for that. Uh, but so Saturday we did the mock battle, and it's just amazing because they have so much pyro there. Uh, we brought out one of Großdeutschland's um, trucks. So the men were loaded up in the trucks. The 251 drove out, and we were offloading out of the half track. And the Panzer III rolled up over the hill. And then the cool thing is that the there's actually a narrator describing all the events that are taking place during the battle. And it's amazing the length that the museum goes to keeping that historical accuracy You know, they kind of gave an overview of what Operation Husky was all about and how the Germans were slowly retreating up and the Allies were kind of willy nilly taking town after town, uh, you know, kind of coming a little complacent without having hit any real German resistance. Then all of a sudden they got kind of smacked in the face uh, when the German resistance stiffened up. But uh, there was even like one small detail where there's a, a, a little light armored reconnaissance car called a dingo that during the, the, during the actual war uh, was taken out uh, by, I believe, a tank round. But the officer that was in it climbed out of the burning vehicle, was wounded, but he stayed behind the dingo and was like calling in for reinforcements and assistance. And so during the battle, the reenactors were playing all that out. So it was really cool to see how even though it was a scripted battle, they were trying to, they did a lot of background research to say like, hey, what, what is it we can do to incorporate into this? Um, so the the battle was really exciting. One amazing thing about the museum, because of, his, of its credentials, uh, they actually are allowed to have full auto weapons there. Uh, which, if any of you know Canadian gun laws, they're even more strict than than here in the United States. And so, uh, you know, that's basically unheard of. So, for, even for a lot of the Canadians there, it was like, wow, we get to come to this event and like s- utilize these full auto weapons. It was it was pretty cool to see in action. And man, I tell you like when MG42 is going off to the left, it was, it was quite a sight. And it, it was kind of interesting too because even though there was a narration going on, uh, they had almost 6,000 public uh, show up over the course of the weekend to view this. Uh, So there was a a throng of people there witnessing this and the narrators talking, but as a living historian, as a reenactor, I didn't even take note of that because I was so impressed with all the vehicles moving around. You know, they had a couple of Shermans come up and different vehicles and the Canadians are slowly pushing up and the Germans are retreating and they bring in professional pyrotechnics. So there's massive mounds of dirt flying up in the air and shell casings are landing all over the place. I'm, I know that there's going to be a lot of pictures and videos coming up, uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. I'll try and post them to the uh, you know the Reenact Recorded Corner uh, Discord, but my Facebook as well. Uh, I didn't take a lot of pictures because they actually hire a whole ton of professional uh, photographers to come and take pictures, so they ask that you don't take uh, phones out. Uh, but it it was all in all really impressive Battle Saturday, and. On Sunday, we actually do the exact same battle, which might seem, oh, you know, maybe that's a little boring. Maybe it's a little repetitive, but there's a whole new wave of public coming in. And the purpose of it is so that Saturday's like the walkthrough. We get to say, OK, well, this worked or this didn't work. Like, how can we change this? Uh, what can we do better? What can we improve upon? And so Sunday's battle is just really, really smooth. Um, and Sunday is the one you really want to see because it's kind of fine-tuned. Uh, one really exciting thing about this Sakino tank uh, weekend is that it's actually partnered with the very popular game World of Tanks. So World of Tanks members were there with all of their RC tanks and there's computers set up where you can play World of Tanks. But Sunday, they actually live streamed the entire battle uh, on Sunday and I'm pretty sure it was televised or viewed globally through all of their servers. Um, So I know that there was a lot of people around the world that were watching it. So I think marching out there and driving on the half track, I think on Sunday a lot of us were really like, all right, we need to make sure we're on top of our game and make this look really good. Uh, And one of the things that worked out really nicely was that There were quite a few individuals uh, that were reenactors that could speak German. So it was really helpful in the field, like being able to shout out the different commands and being able to talk and, uh, you know, utilize the proper hand signals. And I think it just really added a nice element to it. And with Sunday's battle, one of the, the tweaks that we noticed is that Saturday we had actually placed the pack a little bit too close to uh, Ersta Grupa. And so, man, after that battle on Saturday, like our ears were ringing. And as cool as it was, there was also this element of like, wow, OK, there's some things we need to address. Um, and so Sunday reiterating the battle just allowed for us to do that. Um I will say that uh, at the museum, they have a a wonderful kind of canteen there where they serve food out of. The the museum did a wonderful job taking care of the reenactors. They were always bringing us water. What is it you need? Here's more ice cold water. Uh, They provided lunches on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, At the canteen, you could purchase uh, a relatively inexpensive uh, breakfast and dinner. Um, They had really delicious food there. They have a, a full bar, so they were always making sure guys were taken care of. You could purchase you know, alcohol at your leisure, um, which I, I I will be completely honest. I don't know if it's because I haven't been to an event in a year and a half. I, I probably imbibed a little bit too much Saturday night, so Sunday morning was a little rough for me. And I'll be honest, right up until I got in that half track, I was kind of hurting, but... I don't know if it was the excitement or what, but it seemed like as soon as the half track took off, you know, my headache kind of went, went away. But um, uh, it was—it just was a phenomenal weekend all around.
1: I—it uh, sounds really great, and uh, I definitely know how it is when. That Some beers are being passed around and spirits are high and you're hanging out with people that you don't get to see very often and you're in a great mood and uh, that that can lead to some maybe uh, poor decisions. But, uh, you know, it's fun, too. And it sounds like you had quite a bit of work to do with that event, putting on those um, battles. And was it one of those situations where the public come through the camps and ask questions as well?
0: Yeah, um, so the public was coming through. They were asking a lot of questions. And, I, and, you know, the public themselves is kind of surprised. You know, you talk about Canadian gun laws and the rarity of being able to see some of these firearms, let alone full-auto firearms. You could just see the excitement on their face. They're like, oh, my goodness, Like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. And they asked some really wonderful questions. There was a lot of children there. You know, as I mentioned, the grenade toss was a huge hit. They're literally was moments where I would be working with a couple other reenactors, this grenade toss section, running the grenades back and forth. And, uh, you know, for hours on end, it seemed like, but the line was eternal. Just people were so excited to be there. Um, but we were able to, uh, I know some of the reenactors have brought, uh, like a writing desk and we're filling out sold books. I was passing out Feldpost posts to people, uh, so there, there was a lot of great activity going on. We were able to, you know, clean our Gewehrs after the battles, uh, clean our Stiefel. Uh, so people were interested in just some of the most basic things like, oh, wait, you're cleaning your Gewehr. Like what's this do? What that do? So, um, it, it was, it was pretty cool. I actually had one of a really youngster like coming and he was like writing with some of my, uh, pencils and the different scripts and stuff on the, uh, notebook I was kind of journaling in, um. So it, it it was a great time all around. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing we talk about these different weapons, uh, a huge spotlight of this weekend is because it was a public event and there was a downtime and we had access to these vehicles and access to the MG42s. Uh, Saturday night, we actually had like an MG101 course where the Canadians came together and the German reenactors came together and... Uh, we broke down the MG 42 and a Bren gun, uh, the safety behind it, how it operates. And one of the phenomenal things is this museum's not like, oh, you know what? We don't really want you touching this. We don't want you around these vehicles. You know, they encourage you to learn the safety of the vehicles so that you can be in them, uh, You know, I actually brought an extra pair of Stiefel that didn't have hobnails in case I wasn't allowed to get on the armor with hobnails. And they're like, no, we encourage guys to get on the vehicles because the hobnails just, you know, add to the realism of it. You know, it's not like these guys were uh, during the war had a second pair. Okay, like don't scratch the paint. Um, But the cool thing was with the MG42 is that they have these safety briefs and these breakdowns because it's their goal to say, okay, you were the MG man in Saturday's battle, but now let's give uh, you know Friedrich Mueller a chance over here on the MG. So their goal is to have everyone become confident in the safety of these, so that they can actually utilize them. Um, and you know, one of the coolest things is that they actually had uh, free ammunition to hand out to the reenactors. So there were proper, professional armors there that were doing all the powder, not just for, like, the Mausers and the 42s, but even for the armor. So each tank got an allotment of rounds per battle. Each soldat got an allotment of rounds per battle. So uh, I actually was using a Mauser, and I would get 30 rounds per day. And whatever I didn't utilize, I would hand back into the armorer, and then I would get 30 rounds the next day. And uh, in GD, as I said, I'm a Feldwebel, and I'm usually a Zugfier, so I don't really shoot a lot. Uh, and I, I tell you what, because I was getting free ammo, I used all 30 rounds, (laughs) which was a lot of fun, a lot of fun for me. I felt like I was a new reenactor all over again.
1: Yeah. So I guess kind of looking back on it, um, you know, how did it feel getting back in the saddle after more than a year of, of being away?
0: It was, it was really refreshing. You know, I was very hesitant. We, we kind of started this, uh, podcast off talking about some, some, uh, some turmoil I've been going through in my life. Uh, and so for me, I was kind of hesitant because part of the turmoil was connected to my interest in this hobby. So there was a little bit of concern there, but like I said, I got there and everyone was so welcoming and it just was like getting back on a bike and saying, you know what, like, this is what I'm passionate about. This is a part of me. You know, it's good, good to change in some regards, but you really need to stay true to yourself. And uh, this event really solidified that. So I kind of already been looking at the rest of the year coming up. I know I have, there's an event in uh, Berwick, Pennsylvania in July. I want to say it's the 15th and 16th. So I'm looking forward to attending that. Um, I know Kanye is going to be a must. I know I went for one day last year, but I'll be there this weekend. Uh, Odessa here, uh, out toward Watkins Glen in New York is in September is always one of my favorites, which I, I usually enjoy seeing you at Chris. Uh, and then we have our Hazelton event that GD runs, uh, later in the fall and a couple of Vinect fests, uh, get togethers. So I'm, I'm grateful to be back at it. I'm grateful to be filling up my reenacting calendar.
1: That's cool. what's the uh, what's the event in Berwick, Pennsylvania? I don't know if I've heard about it.
0: Um, you know, it's it's kind of a small, smaller event, and it's one of those things much like a Aquino, uh, this event I went to this past weekend is that it's kind of growing exponentially each year. I think uh, I think that they have two Stewart tanks that show up. Uh, but for years we've had a couple of members within Gross Deutschland who have attended that have said, You need to go to this event. It's kind of small, but they bend over backwards for their reenactors and each year it's growing and growing. So um, I believe it's in Berwick, Pennsylvania. I think it's July 14th and 15th or 15th, 16th. One of those. Uh, I do believe that there was a registration for it that may or may not have closed already. Uh, I think that there's a, about a 20 to 25 contingency uh, member of GD attending. I know we're bringing our goulash canone, uh to be serving meals out of for the weekend. Um, so if I can find out some more information, I'd be happy to to pass that, on, pass that along. But I hear it's just one of those kind of smaller, really relaxing uh, events where the reenactors are kind of prioritized. So I'm really looking forward to that. So essentially my... Um my insight into smoking and reenacting is the fact that I'm probably the quintessential I took up smoking uh, because of reenacting. So the Hungarian helmet is a Stahlhelm it's, it's basically the German M35 but it's painted green it has a bracket on the back and the rivets are different so they think, they look at us they're like you don't look like Germans but you have German helmet. Like we can fake close combat and shooting at each other but like the the pure horror, it's never comprehensible
1: unless you've lived it. The Reenactor's Corner, bringing history to life. Okay, so uh, I guess that kind of it wraps it up for this one because that's all the time we've got. But Rudy, thank you so much for coming on the program. It is always so great talking to you. Uh, I loved hearing about the event, and, uh, and thank you for coming on.
0: Yeah, you know, Chris, I just want to say that... Uh, I hope I did some sort of small justice to this event. And then especially uh, to drew and the other German reenactors that helped run it. Uh, They really did a phenomenal job. I can't say enough about them and this event. So uh, I highly encourage you to check out the tank museum's website. And if you ever find a chance to get out there, I I highly encourage it, but thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Awesome. All right. So, uh, Thank you to all the Patreon supporters. If you have enjoyed this and want to hear more of this discussion, you can become a Patreon supporter. Um, And the $5 a month level gets you the bonus episode every single month. So to Rudy and everybody else out there, I will see you in the field.
0: See you in the field.
1: We love hearing what you think about the podcast. So why not reach out to us on Facebook or Discord? Just search for The Reenactor's Corner and you'll find us there. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us via Patreon. Your generous contributions, no matter how big or small, really do keep us on the air. And you'll also get regular additional exclusive episodes as a thank you. You can find details of where to find us on Patreon in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time here on the Re-Actor's Corner.